You know what my counselor told me the other day? What? She told me when I was discussing some of my OCD things, and I go, I think this is a new issue. And she goes, no, sounds like you need a nap. I mean, that solves your problems. It does solve my issue. But literally, here I am, like, talking through a situation I experienced, thinking... Let's pull up Google. Let's see if this is another another thing I got to fucking deal with. And she goes, when did this happen? At night? Did you have a busy day? Obviously. Sounds like you need to go lay down. Hey, sometimes the easiest solution is, is best. You know, I hate when people are right like that, though. <laughs> because I spent a lot of fucking time thinking about this, okay? I mean, that's good. Just take a nap next time. Yeah. Anyway. I didn't mean to cut in, but what were you going to say? I'll say we're going to start the episode so we can get to the... Uh... Oh, no. I took your cold open spot. How about that be my cold open? Okay. You do the next cold open. Okay. Well, we've got to talk about the Grammys, so let's start the show. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, this is Beth Ann. And this is <laughs> Leah. Wait. Isn't it I'm Beth Ann and I'm Leah? Well, you started it. <laughs> Fuck. Um, welcome to Shio Rock You. <laughs> Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haunt you, let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this band? We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. I don't know why we feel rusty. It's not like... We literally just did this like two weeks ago. Yeah. But we got to talk about the Grammys before we get into the, the heart of this episode. Because there were some... Some controversial moments that shouldn't have been controversial. No. Starting with Sam Smith's performance of Unholy. Um, people are very upset. As if we didn't just watch little Nas X twerk on the devil last year. <laughs> uh, we, we, all for, we all forget, don't we? <laughs> like, that was mild. And very mind mild. you, he made Satanist shoes with Nike for a yes, second. but no... I mean, literally all that happened in Sam's performance was he was wearing this red, or they were wearing this red outfit, and then there were some really culty, like, the ring type dancers around him. They were the most unsettling part. They kind of circled and had these long wigs. It was, it, it was, was creepy. It was fine. Like, but the Christians are very upset on Facebook. Listen, let me tell you, as an expert in the satanic panic, that was LaCroix Satanism, okay? That was <laughs> just... just <laughs> it was as if Satan just walked by and gave the hint. He, he breathed. He, was he like, breathed. So if that's what you have to get upset, you know, there, there's just better things to get upset about, in my opinion. I agree. Um, the, the internet is also very in arms about Harry winning album of the year. To the point where people were heckling Harry in the audience. Oh, that's mean. During the Grammys, screaming Beyonce should have won... This is the 2009 VMAs all over again. Jeez. Um, I felt really bad when I learned like what was, but apparently people got in a fight like off camera in the audience and had to be over this over Harry winning. Yeah. The, the mm. Bayhive was very, very mad that Harry won. Look, I'm a Bayhive friend as well, but like, it's fine. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's not like a big, have you learned nothing that the Grammys means absolutely nothing? Literally nothing. Um, but it was a good night overall for just women as a whole. Beyonce became the most awarded Grammy winner ever. That's pretty damn awesome. She has the most Grammys of anyone in history. Um, Molly Tuttle won Best Bluegrass Album. 
Taylor Swift won best music video. I had a list of all these ready to go in my head and I forgot everything I was going to say. Beyonce did win best dance album. Mm -hmm. And Wet Leg won best alternative. Which is worth it. 100%. What was the other award I was going to say? The biggest one. For our patron saint. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm building up to that one. Okay. There was one more that I was going to say. Damn it. Didn't Lizzo win something? Lizzo won record of the year. Okay. Which it wasn't that great of a record, but in my opinion. I, okay. I don't understand the difference between song of the year and record of the year because they're both nominations for a song and it's very confusing. I'm not going to question it. Yeah. But Lizzo was the first black woman to win since Whitney Houston won. That's, that's pretty awesome. In 1992. Damn. So... That's She's, years. She is the first black woman to win in my lifetime. Oof. So if you want to talk about how the Grammys are fucked up. Yeah. Um, but yes, the, the big moment of the night, which the only reason I stayed up until 1130 on a Sunday was to watch Song of the Year because Taylor was nominated. And so it was it was Taylor. It was Adele for Go Easy on Me or Easy on Me. And there was Harry for As It Was. Like it was a big category. And then they announced that the song of the year is Bonnie Raitt and her face when they announced it. And everyone in the room was just like, well, no one saw that coming. That's incredible. It was it was incredible. Apparently, I, had, I hadn't listened to her song. I still haven't listened to the song. Um, but it's a song about I've read the lyrics mm-hmm. about an organ transplant. Like the, it tells a story of this woman who gets a knock at her door. And it's this guy. And basically, you learn that the guy got her son's heart when he died and he just like came to Aww. say hello so if a song is gonna win song of the year like that was a good one yeah. but twitter was very up in arms because they're like who is this bonnie Raitt person and daily mail called her an unknown I blues singer it's like you guys clearly do not do your history one google search would have given you our podcast episode on her like i don't know what yeah. your problem is but anyway grammys were as usual an interesting um experience they did do a round table that they cut into certain sections That's kind of where cool. everyone who was nominated for album of the year, they chose one of their super fans and had them just talk about like why they love the artist so much. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a very diverse, just very passionate group of people. And I loved them. They had a, I want to say she was like an, 75 year old great grandmother as the Harry fan Aww. and she she got to pr- to read the envelope or give him the envelope that had his uh his like winning that's thing in so it cute. um it was it was really good that's adorable that's a favorite part okay well speaking of Grammys and speaking of country because we talked about country at some point yeah can it be Beth Ann is somewhat covering a country artist what year is it? It's quick. Someone check and make sure she's not having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I am covering a semi-country artist. I am just as shocked. But before I talk about the lady of the hour, Linda Ronstadt, I feel like it's important to clarify that I did not choose Linda based off of just the Last of Us episode, <laughs> which is the most beautiful episode of TV. It was just weird timing. So I was already planning on covering Linda Ronstadt for quite a while since last year. Yeah. And I was just waiting for the right time. And whenever I saw the Linda Ronstadt in that episode, I said, okay, the site told me it was time. It is time. It was time. And I was either going to cover her 
January or February. So I knew it was coming. So it's just really, once again, eerie how the site works. Um, this is also going to be an unorthodox outline because her career is like the carousel of progress at Disneyland where, you know, you're sitting there, you're in this one time period, and then all of a sudden the music starts up. It's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. And then the carousel starts moving to a whole other scene. <laughs> That's pretty much her life. And it's going to be like in phases. And there's a lot of fucking phases. So get ready for a wild, wild genre bending time. Um, so with that said, I'm not really going to cover a lot of her albums. She has 24 albums and that's Jeez. not including the compilation albums that she has. She has like 12 of those. So it's pretty nuts. Um, I also want to give a shout out to the Linda Ronstadt doc that's on HBO Max. It's an amazing doc. Did and not know that existed. Yeah. A lot of this information is based off of this. It came out in 2019. But let's dive into her beginnings. So Linda Marie Ronstadt was born on July 15th, 1946 in Tucson, Arizona. She has some really interesting roots. This is really cool. Her grandpa on her mom's side invented a lot of stuff, like 700 patents. 700 patents. How do you come up with 700 different things? Well, apparently he's like number three for like behind Thomas Edison for the most like invented stuff. And here's what we have to thank him for. The electric stove. Okay. The toaster. The home thermostat. He also created the rubber ice tray, which earned him millions in royalties. And he used that money, quite a sizable fortune, to find a cure for Parkinson's for which his wife, slash Linda's grandmother, was uh, had. Um, Her grandpa on her dad's side came over to the U.S. from Mexico. Um... She is half Hispanic, which it's interesting because her name's Ronstadt. Mm-hmm. So people are like, that's not a Mexican name. They were German immigrants that came over to Mexico. That's not something you ever hear. Well, it's interesting because that's Josh's family. Interesting. His side, the Mexican side of his family, were German um, settlers because his name should have been Olguin. <laughs> and that's a German name. Uh-huh. And so it was German settlers in Mexico. But there was a whole thing and the family changed its name to Tarpley. Anyway, long story short, it's a thing. So she's half Hispanic. Um, but um, her grandpa came over to the U.S. and formed a mariachi band, which he did all the arranging himself. Her mom uh, wanted to go study physics and one of the best schools at the time was University of Arizona. She pops over to University of Arizona, meets the dad, and there you go. That's how they united. Um, also very random. Both sides of this family are incredibly intelligent. Yeah, like, they seem like that. Like there's, I got her dad owned a machinery company or something like that. Um, and like the Ronstats are like, there's like a lot of like history with the Ronstats in the Arizona area. Like her aunt was also a vaudeville actress and dancer. And like, they all just are super intelligent. On both sides. It's, it's kind of nuts. But anyway. Um, she grew up in Tucson on her grandpa's ranch with her other two siblings. Um, growing up, music was one of the most important things in her family's life. They would play music together. And all the music they would play uh, together in that family was would be in Spanish. And it 
she thought growing up that oh you sing in spanish and you talk in english oh she and someone had to break it to her <laughs> that you could sing in english Aww, isn't that cute. adorable but her brother was actually the one to teach her how to sing he was in a like world-class boys choir it was like a high soprano soloist so he was the one who taught her and she would learn harmonies while playing music with her dad and family which is really cute she also had another inspiration, which was the radio. She said, being 40 minutes from the border, there's this really eclectic mix of American music, Mexican music, opera was thrown in there. Hey, Probably some country as well. Uh, throw in that as well. Some yeehawing and two-stepping. Yeehaw. Um, when she was around high school age, her brother and sister formed a folk trio. They went by the name Union City Ramblers and then the three Ronstats. That's... It, it is a, what it is. It, you know. And then soon, the three Ronstats were joined by Bob. <laughs> so Bob. Bob and three Ronstats. And three Ronstats. Um, but Bob Kimmel was a friend. Joined them, but they didn't last long. One of them wanted to get married, you know, have kids. Eh. You know. Eh. Eh. Uh, so Bob went to California and Linda went to University of Arizona for one semester. However, she did not last long at University of Arizona because Bob would send her a letter saying how great Callie was and how she should come out. So welcome to phase one, folk rock slash a band called the Stone Ponies. It's a good name. It is a good name. Um, But yeah, this is the phase where she moves to LA at 18, joins the folk rock scene of the time. Um, Her and Bob land in Malibu. They grab a dude named Kenny and form a trio band called the Stone Ponies. Mm. That band would follow the standard operating procedure of every band at that time. You work your way to performing at the Troubadour. Mm. And it didn't take long for them to get discovered. In the weirdest twist, the guy um, who discovered them was already the manager for Frank Zappa and was like, oh, I'll get you a record deal. And it just happens to be fucking Capitol Records. Like out of the gate. It's a pretty good record deal. Yeah. Out of the gate. Um, the Stone Ponies lasted for roughly four years. And in those years, they released three albums. The first one was self-titled. Didn't really make a whole lot of buzz. Their next album is what launched Linda. Not necessarily the band. Hmm. Um, they did like a that. cover of a different drum. And that's what put them on the map. It reached number 13 on the Billboard 100. And after that song, Capital said, Thank you very much. We will be making her a solo artist from now on. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. And so the third album, uh, the last one, they just call Linda Ronstadt, Stone Ponies and Friends, Volume 3. And Friends. <laughs> and Friends. Um, but that's a short phase. Let's get into phase two, which is similar to phase one, but it's just her doing rock. Um, here's what's interesting about her career. From here on out, all the songs she will do at this point will be covers. She does not write. She does not have people write for her. Interesting They are choice. all covers. And we're going to talk more about that in the legacy section, a little bit of the reason behind it. Um, Capital releases her first solo record, which I don't like this name for some reason. It's Hand Sewn Homegrown. I'm not mm. big. F- it's a little too, it's a little too 60s. It, it's dated. It feels dated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she also during this time going back to frank zappa recorded a razor commercial with him which is the strangest combo i've ever seen in my life it makes sense though well having the same manager yeah but like it just feels i don't know you know it it seems on brain for frank zappa yeah i don't know for linda but for frank zappa for him to be in that situation very much very much on bram um but this brings up a point like around this time linda is really building a community of musicians around her um for example her second album silk purse was produced by elliot mazur and he's the same guy behind big brother and the holding company's cheap thrills Mm. and that came after talking to janice joplin and janice joplin recommended it to her um that's also where we get the song long long time from the last of us Mm. and it was also her first grammy nom for that song but that's not where it stops. And this is just wild. This is a wild origin story. Well, I know this is the 60s and, you know, everyone kind of knows each other. It is almost as if Linda throughout her life is like perfectly positioned at the birth of some of the greatest bands slash artists. So she's Forrest Gump. She's Forrest Gump. Yes. No, legitimately. <laughs> there's there's some truth to that. So. Let's meet a guy for a second. His name is J.D. Souther. He is a guitarist, songwriter, producer, and one of Linda's love interests uh, interests at the time. She does not marry. She once dated the California governor. That's really all I got to say about that. Um, so they meet after a show, and he saw her and said, are you going to cook me dinner? Which, gentlemen, that is the worst pickup line. Yeah, it is. Terrible. Um, do not say that. But she said yes. No. And gave phone number. Wait. He called a few days later and says, what about dinner? She invited him over and just made him a PB&J. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you don't use that line. That's why you don't use that line. I mean, I think the PB&J is generous, to be quite honest. But anyway, um, shortly after they become a couple. Now, JD has a musical duet partner, if you will another guy called Glenn Frey and Linda is introduced to him and she invites him on their current tour. So Glenn Frey and her drummer named Dan shared a hotel room for that tour. They found out, Hey, we're a really good songwriting duo after, you know, finagling around on a guitar and hanging out. Well, they would go start their own band and that band would become the Eagles. Okay. And I think there were some other members from her backup band that also went there. But like she didn't get jealous. She didn't like, you know, say, hey, that's not fair. She literally her and JD were so supportive of them to the point when Desperado came out, the Eagles first album. She took like that support step further and covered one of their songs. And that's actually what popular popularized the band. That's cool. Because um, Desperado wasn't doing that hot at that time. Mm hmm. She sung it. It got, you know, reached at that point. Speaking of touring, let's talk about touring with men during the 70s. Oh, God. Everyone's favorite subject. So did they get naked and mark the producers? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no nudity that I know of. The documentary made a point about how hard it is to be able to find a female guitarist, drummer or bass player due to limited supply. In the seventies, I think they were there. I think you guys just weren't no one looking was, hard enough. Was uh, looking. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so all these dudes at the time were like, well, this isn't cool enough because it's, you know, not a band of just guys, mm. which is kind of dumb. Anyway, that experience taught Linda to be strong and tough, which she also got that advice from Janis Joplin. Um, it also, according to her, taught her to curse like a truck driver. And looking back, she was shocked. Um, and I'm happy to report on this podcast we're proud of our fucking mouths, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was interesting because like in the documentary, she sounds so, you know, nice and quaint. And then she's like, I, you know, I was just shocked by how I cursed. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Um, but, you know, to each its own. Uh, Linda also had something to say about the heavy male presence in the rock music scene during this time. And this quote is the ball game. Like, if we were writing a thesis about this show, this would be it. Like, and we've like spent three and a half years trying to pull the words together and she just says it in one paragraph. It's nuts. So I literally went into the documentary three times just to transpose (laughs) this. And this is what it says. Quote, the rock and roll culture is so male dominated and it also seems to be dominated by sort of hostility against women that this sort of sexual identity that is sort of used as a weapon against the populace and women in particular, and then everyone def- in, uh, identifies with it. And it's sort of sad to me because what happens is that rock and roll stars end up isolating themselves more and more and thereby increasing their own feelings of alienation and anxiety. And they wonder why they're so miserable. That's really when they turn to drugs and they destroy themselves. It's just very silly. It just seems so silly. They lose the ability to focus on themselves as a person rather than as an image. And that's very dangerous, I think. And there are always a lot of people around them, managers and scene makers, you know, groupies and whatever. They are willing to indulge them in anything they want. It weakens them. It weakens them as people and eventually weakens them as musicians. I mean, there's some knowledge Mm -hmm. in that. And that's literally how many times we've covered that same cycle. Yeah pretty nuts so like i said incredibly intelligent family she's incredibly intelligent so we're at 1971 and linda has released a few albums um she begins and talks with david geffen of asylum records at that time and she would uh go to sign with asylum and release her fourth album don't cry now um when she signed when she signed with asylum try to say that three times um she didn't feel like she was good enough to be on the record label which is just absolutely nuts to me (laughs) because she did not think she was the best singer and as i'm gonna cover all the genres that she covered i don't know how she got that idea into her head but she was saying like whenever she was playing these shows and see someone in the front whisper to another person she just always imagined they were saying, oh, this is the worst person I've ever <laughs> Why heard. would they be there if that's what they thought? I don't know. Um, but let, but we're done with this phase. We're moseying on yonder to the country rock Ronstadt era. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Now, this is a split era where she does rock and she'll do country. So on Don't Cry Now, uh, it's the first time she hits the country charts with Silver Threads and Golden Needles which uh, she recorded on her first album, but then she said, fuck it, we're doing it again. 
She does that quite a few times. <laughs> she she's like she sings the song and then she's like, you know, let's try that again. It didn't work. We didn't arrange it right the first time. Yeah, we got to do, do it again. But it works. Um, we're going to speed the timeline up a little bit to 1974 when she releases her next album, Heart Like a Wheel. This was actually released on Capitol due to contract obligations. Like she had one more to mm-hmm. fulfill. Um, but this is such a great example of her rock and her country sound because she had rock hits like You're No Good and When Will I Be Loved. And on the country side, she had the hit. It's a Hank Williams song. I can't help if I'm still in love with you. This album would be number one album on the Billboard 200. And it's also the first time an artist hits number one on all three charts because that's like all they had then. Um, (laughs) All three charts. (laughs) All three charts. Um, It was also around this time that she embarks on a very big tour uh, with Neil Young. Which, fun fact, she did the singing backup vocals for Heart of Gold, which I think is cool. Um, But he asked her to be the opening act. That tour was 78 days out of 90. Damn. It's it's quite heavy duty. But it was on this tour that she meets a very important friend, Miss Emmylou Harris. Mm. And um, Linda actually said when she heard her sing for the first time, she almost got jealous because she thought of how beautiful she was Aww. but instead she just did it to form one of the like cutest like friend relationships ever um she also was very linda was also very important in a very formative time in uh emily Lou's career because she was suffering from a friend who had died from a drug overdose and she was able to encourage her to you know sprout her wings and continue to do music which mm-hmm. is really cool and then at some point, she's going to meet Bonnie Raitt and become friends with her. But I don't know when that happens, so I'm just going to put it here. It happens. So she's opening for big artists like Neil Young, which Linda has now entered phase four, arena rock. Okay. It is a new new time. And it's during this time, there were drugs. Oh. And I love this quote from Bonnie Raitt. In the doc, she said, quote after a show after a long night you're not gonna go home and drink milk i mean (laughs) it's true but also you could just go and go to sleep you could i don't understand like these guys were like 29 30 they're our age how the (laughs) fuck did they do this i'm not i'm not gonna you know play till 11 p.m and then continue to be awake like these guys uh, god bless them on the tour scene because literally the idea of one playing a show past eight i attended four shows four nights in a row and thought i was gonna die so and that was just me standing there literally literally that's that's why these guys are on drugs there's no other way to explain you need drugs there's no other way to explain it anyway um unfortunately linda was not exempt from a drug stint um her bandmates were doing drugs she was doing speed and not eating to keep herself thin which Mm. i do not recommend no nor is that a good combo no but luckily it was a shorter period of time for her they all just decided one day it was like we're gonna just stop the whole band that's good yeah it is very good but during the arena rock era she is performing in front of these massive ass crowds and in this era i don't know why i'm throwing this in here but i feel like it needs to be documented she there is this famous outfit that she wears and it's a boy scout outfit and it's really cute. Aww. <laughs> She's just like in front of this massive crowd with a boy, 
little Cub Scout of America outfit. It was really cute. Everyone should look up that photo. Um, she said she didn't really like being in front of big crowds, but she loves singing. So it's like, just what you got to do sometimes mm-hmm. um, to do what you love. She is selling out stadiums and her next four albums will go platinum. She has five consecutive platinum albums. Wow. Which was also the first time that's yeah. ever happened, which aids in more selling out of stadiums. One author calls her, quote, the first true rock and roll superstar. And this also will be where she picks up the title, quote, the first lady of rock and roll. The accolades from magazines during the time just start rolling in. And I mean, she is just like she is at Beyonce level popularity here. Um, She also becomes the highest paid female act of all time. In 1978, she makes $12 million with album sales. Those album sales that same year made $60 million. That's 20... That's Beyonce money. Yeah, that's $250 million today. In the 70s. Yeah, that's exactly right. But as her popularity increased, the record label's wallets wanted to get fatter. Mm. And she has this moment of epiphany that she she doesn't want to do this anymore. Eh. (laughs) That she wants to try something different. And here's where we go into phase five, Broadway. Okay. That's not the turn I expected. Not just Broadway. Operetta Broadway. Okay. And this comes from growing up. She would listen to Gilbert and Sullivan and um, with her mom. And she got word through a friend that a theater in New York City was planning on producing Pirates of Penzance. No. Yes. 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 Uh, audience aside, that's that's the show I was in when I met my husband. I knew so. you would like that. I knew you would like that little tidbit. <laughs> no one's going to know that. Why I'm so excited about this show. And so she called asking to audition. The producer said, well, you can just have it. You can just have the part. <laughs> You're Linda of, Ronstadt. Of Mabel. You yeah. don't need to. Uh, but she declined because she wanted to come audition because she didn't know if she could sing that part, which is very fair. Yeah. Because opera is a whole different ball game. Yeah. Of singing. Completely different. Um, but she is literally a perfect soprano for Mabel. I've never like her soprano opera voice is stunning how good she is. And so they played in Central Park, sold out. And then they did a movie um in the eighties with her starring as Mabel. And I'm telling you, you gotta look up clips of this. This is I feel like that's what they made us watch when we did the show. It's very possible. It, just so impressive of a soprano um so now she has this thing in her head that she's like wow i can try different things it doesn't have to be just rock and arenas and the record label was like listen you had your break you did your broadway thing but come back here and make country and rock right now you young gotta lady make us some money but after she after we're just mastering opera she's like you know what i'm coming for you frank sinatra and she does a crooner, great American songbook As she album. We're talking Billie Holiday. We're talking Ella Fitzgerald. We're talking Peggy Lee and Frank Sinatra. Um, she even gets a ranger, Nelson Riddle, famous for working with Frank Sinatra, to come out of retirement <laughs> to help with this album. Anything for you, Linda. The album is called What's New. And her goal with this album was to take the music out of the elevator, which is so creative because it's it's elevator elevator music music. yeah that's right Mm. and you know what not only does she land 
opera. She also lands the jazz Great American Songbook sound. What's left at this point? Oh, don't just you wait. We're not even all the way through our phases. Um, But this becomes a hit. So much so that she releases two other albums in the same style, Lush Life and Four Sentimental Reasons. So after this era, she says, you know what? It's time to do a collaborative project. I mean, she's been doing collaborative projects, but this is such a monumental collaborative project that I'm willing to call it a next phase. So Emmy Lou Harris, this is way back in the 70s before they get together. Um, Emmy Lou Harris meets Dolly Parton for the first time. Oh, yes. And Emmy Lou invites Dolly to her house. So Emmy calls Linda and says, Dolly's here. And Linda is such a huge fan that Emmy said it was a 40 minute drive and she was there in 20 minutes. I would do the same. I, I would make it 15. I think 20 is a little slow to be quite <laughs> honest with you. And they were so excited to meet with each other. And eventually as musicians do, they started singing in her house and Dolly was singing something about a weeping willow tree. And here comes Emmy and Linda doing like perfect harmonies to go with it. Dolly said it was sounded it felt like someone was injecting serum into your veins like that's how chilling it was to hear the three of them sing so that would become a project called trio yes they tried to launch in the 70s didn't quite work because Dolly was busy I mean Lou was Harry and Linda's apparently busy as well they got a lot going on yeah but in the 80s trio would come around and that will become our next phase phase seven um trio was released in 1987 and contains a variety of songs from each of their respective careers that they cover together. Um, I mean, what the hell is not to love about these three together? Like, it's just flawless. And also the album artwork, I would like on a shirt. Thank you. Like, I don't know. So I'm about, it's just three of them. And like, they're in like a country Western kind of scene. And Linda Ronstadt's sitting on a fence. And Emmy Lou Harris looks like she's from the 80s. And then there's just Dolly looking. Looking like Dolly. Looking like Dolly. Um, but the album was hailed as a nearly perfect album and reached number six on the Billboard 200. It's pretty good. Yeah. No, it's super good. It sold platinum and won an award for best country performance by a duo or a group, which seems very niche. It doesn't seem like there'd be a lot of competition for it, but they would have won. There's a lot of country duets. Is there really? See, it's the first time I'm covering a country artist. I don't know these things. Um, if that wasn't enough, the trio received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and were in, inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. They also released another one in 1999. It did fine. So you would think that after this incredibly expansive career, we have gone from the 60s to the 80s in lightning speed, that maybe she would take a musical sabbatical. Probably not. Correct. Because if there's anything we know about her, she takes every moment and makes it into something. And in fashion, she has to do something different. So imagine the record label almost losing their shit when she says, next project is traditional Mexican mariachi music. That's not, again, what I would have guessed. So the record label once again comes around and says, Linda, this is going to be a career ruiner if you go through with this, which they said about opera which they said about crooner album, you think they would have learned. They can afford one flop. Come on. 
Yeah, literally. Um, it's Stephen Geffen. Come on. Man's made of money. Um, but, you know, as Linda does, she does it anyway. And when I tell you, because even I was like, when she's Mexican traditional, I was like, okay, it's going to be, you know, pretty light. I could not believe how perfect her enunciation was she, in these songs. You know when like... She sings in Spanish. Well, yeah, exactly. That, well, learned, yeah, I yeah. should know better. But literally just like how sharp, you know, when like mariachi music, it's, it's there's a lot of R rolls. There's yeah. a lot of, you know, there's a lot happening technique wise. Flawless. Absolutely flawless. It was like a, it's crazy because it's almost like a different person singing each yeah. time. But they're all her and they're all amazing. Um, but she wanted to do this album. She said she's been wanting to do it for a while because once again, that's the music she grew up doing with her family and her grandpa was a mariachi yeah. band's leader. So it kind of makes sense. Um, all the songs that were on there were songs that her dad would serenade her with, which is Cute. really sweet. Um, also the album, it's called <sighs> Caracones de mi Padre. I'm, I'm, I know I'm butchering that. People are going to get mad at me, but I'm sorry. Um, the album name came from a booklet that was released about her aunt, the vaudeville mm. act. Her name was Luisa Espinel. Um, Someone about her life, and that was the title of it. So as far as for pressing of the album, I love the care she puts into this because in the sleeve, she has the Spanish lyrics. She has the English translate. She has the English translation. And then she has this, the historical significance of each song mm. to the Hispanic community. Isn't that really cool? Like yes. Jesus says, this, this really cool education moment. Liner notes are a dead art. It really is. So it releases near the end of 1987. It blew everyone out of the water. It sold 2 million copies in the United States. Okay. It sold 10 million worldwide. That just shows the power of music and she's literally bringing exposure to a genre that I would say as American, we don't hear as much or no. know as much. Um, the album itself is included in the Grammy Hall of Fame and has been preserved by the Library of Congress. Mm. Overall, it is the best non-English selling album in American history. Damn. And she did a second, second album too in like 1991. But nuts absolutely nuts so we're gonna lightly touch on the 90s and 2000s just quickly summarize them um she's still releasing albums um up until 2004 that would be her last album because in the next couple years she would begin to develop physical issues that she thought was from like the combination of shoulder surgery mm. and a tick bite it ended up fucking ticks that, I'm telling you, we learned from we learned from Shania. I understand why she thought it was the other thing, but she would end up being diagnosed with Parkinson's, mm. which has since been clarified to progressive supernuclear palsy. Her last show would uh, sh- would be in 2009, where she performed mariachi music in San Antonio, Aww. which is so sweet. Since then, she has been just focusing on dealing with her illness. But the biggest travesty out of it all is she lost her ability to sing mm. because of the muscles and all that kind of stuff. Emmylou Harris said she likely doesn't miss the big shows, but does missing 
singing with friends yeah. and family. Um, in a recent interview from last year, Linda says she still sings in her head a lot. That's sad. Yeah. It, it, I'm telling you, as a musician, the idea of that guts me. Like, it, it really does. And like, in the documentary, this is the part I posted on Twitter about this. Like, this legitimately made me cry. Like, hearing this quote. Um, in a documentary, she speaks about a quote she heard from another person with Parkinson's. It's not a question of life after death. It's a question of life before death. So how are you going to do it? How are you going to live? And I think she embodies that quote so well. Um, And in a touching way, the documentary ends with her singing, even though she says it's not really singing, um, with uh, Mexican music with her family, which is real sweet. But of course, I don't want to end on a sad note because her life is not one filled with regret, but one that is filled with love to the fullest. And I think her legacy can be summed up by someone who took chances and in those chances also found others along the way that she could encourage, which brings up the point I want to end with. As I mentioned previously, she didn't do original songs. She did all covers. There was a purpose behind how she chose her songs. There was two categories. The first category was, it was a song from a friend that she would sing and they would get exposure. The second one, it's a song she grew up listening with her family. Mm-hmm. That's it. It, w- it would fit in one of those two categories. And if it didn't, she ain't doing it. That's crazy. Yeah, absolutely nuts. J.D. Souther, the previous boyfriend and fellow musician said, quote, Linda knew a good song and she knew why it was good. Better than that, she knew how to sing it better than you could sing it. Another random dude, the doc, I forgot his name, uh, said he considered her a real author that even though she didn't write, she made songs happen the way she wanted to hear them. And that's the magic of what she brought to the table. Like in a way she's taking what she learned from her grandpa and arranging and doing it in a whole other way to learn how to like rejuvenate a song. And with that said, I would like to nominate Linda Ronstadt into the sainthood as the uplifter. Aw, yes. Approved. Two in a row. Two in a row. Man, there's this other artist I want to do, but I feel like they're going to be a patron saint, so I'm going to skip them a little bit. It's okay. We're taking, we have a plan for next month. So. That's right. We do. We're going to bring you guys something a little different. That's going to be fun. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. A special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website, shewaraki.com, and there you'll find links to our socials, our show notes, ways to contact us, and links to our merch. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.